Welcome to the Blue Roads Changemaker podcast. This is the audio version of the show On Your Own Terms that airs first on the Win Win Women Network. I'm Patty Talbot, and this is the place where we learn together what it takes to change the world on your own terms and in your own special way. Today, my special guest is Mary Beth Hyland. She's another friend that I met at Heroic Public Speaking, or HPS for short. HPS was created to help aspiring speakers show up and save the world one speech at a time. Mary Beth and I met there because we both have aspirations to share a positive message that will make the world a better place. I loved Heroic Public Speaking so much that after I went through their grad program last year, I decided to sign up to be a fellow this year, which meant I got to meet a whole new group of change makers, a whole new group of speakers with inspiring messages showing up to make the world a better place. The very first day of my fellows program, I sat next to Mary Beth Highland. I could feel the positive energy radiating off of her. And when I heard her introduce herself and talk about permission to be human, I thought I need to get to know this woman because I am certainly human (laughs) and all of my foibles and all of my ups and downs and my imposter syndrome and all of that shows up amidst my very work to try to make the world a better place in my most human, vulnerable (laughs) and very imperfect way. Since I got Mary Beth to agree to come on our show, I've been reading her book, Permission to Be Human, and I can't wait for you to hear about it from her. But first, she's going to talk to you about homegrown Mary Beth and the work that she's doing in organizations to use values as the core of creating a culture where everyone can thrive and everyone can contribute in their own very human way. Welcome, Mary Beth. I'm delighted you're with me today, and I'm looking forward to hearing your homegrown solutions for the patchwork world we share. This is Mary Beth Highland. While we were living in Washington, D.C., my great uncle, my grandma's brother, would always come out and invest a good amount of time because we were doing a lot of construction on the house that we were living in, and he would help out with the construction. And he was a full-time cowboy. He was a real cowboy and master woodworker, and he had this ranch out in Idaho. So I would visit and actually got potty trained in an outhouse out there when I was a little girl. So I had been going to this ranch and experiencing the huge difference between living in a row house in the city and being on and off the grid ranch. A totally different experience. And so ever since I was a kid, I always had this like fascination with 
horses and cowboys and the mountains and being out on your own like that, being alone. And it was the type of experience that like most young people over time, I was like, that's great for him. That's not realistic for my life. My mom, when my uncle passed, inherited his ranch and I will be inheriting the ranch down the road. And so it became this experience of, whoa, this is a whole different thing now as far as going and visiting. And so I started to do solo retreats by myself off the grid there. And when I say off the grid, it's like literally no TV, no internet, no cell reception. There is a landline. So if there's some kind of emergency, you have access that way. But it's a very different life than having your phone, checking it every day, seeing what's coming through in the news and seeing what's coming up on your social media feed and your email. And it's none of that. And so I started to go there on my own to detox from technology to reconnect to my own humanity in a way I didn't even know that I needed so desperately because it was so conditioned into the programming, the programming. And then in one of my trips by myself, I heard voices on the property. And when you hear voices on the property, it's a very scary thing because one, if you're alone, what are you gonna do? Two, it's the kind of thing that people aren't supposed to be out there. And so if you hear voices, it's like, okay, I gotta do something about this and I don't really know what I'm gonna do. So I got my binoculars out and I looked and I watched this incredible cattle woman and her daughter move these cows we our property we allow ranchers to move their cows through it and so she was one of those ranchers and she was moving a calf had gotten separated from the larger herd and they were gently and lovingly getting them back together and i watched them with my binoculars and I said oh my gosh what is that i have to do that i don't even know what's happening and so fast forward a year, and that's when I got to meet Cheyenne, who is my cowgirl mentor and real life cattlewoman. And I said to her, hey, could I like follow you around one day and see what it's like to be a cowgirl? And she looked at me and she said, no. <laughs> and I was like, okay, never mind." She's like, you can't follow me around and see what it's like, but you can work next to me. You can learn what this is about and we can do this together. And I was like, oh my gosh, even better. And so that was, gosh, maybe five or six years ago. And so that brought me back on the back of a horse. So I've been riding and training horses ever since that moment. I had taken lessons when I was a kid and stopped and then came back 20 years later. And now every time I go out there, it becomes this beautiful experience of the last time we did 12 hour moving the cows through the rivers, into the mountains, into this next location of where they needed to be to graze. And it's just one of the most beautiful experiences I've ever had. And As a really little kid, I grew up in the heart of Washington, D.C., and I was there up until the first grade. And so my experience living in a row home in the heart of the city in Washington, D.C. was very different than when we moved to the suburbs of Baltimore when I was in first grade. And so 
it was an experience that where we were living at the time when I was really young in DC that the public schools just weren't safe. And so my parents invested in putting me in a international school where your first language is not English. And so I went to international school where Spanish was my first language. And then when we came home, we had a au pair who was El Salvadorian. And so we were speaking Spanish all the time. We were talking in Spanish as our first language. The majority of my neighbors and people that we invested time and energy did not look like me. They didn't sound like me. And that was like normal. That's what I experienced as normal. And so then when we moved to the suburbs of Baltimore, it became this experience of, wait a second, what's happening here? People look at me like I'm a weirdo. And I had this actually very specific experience. I remember my first birthday party when we moved. I had Alicia, who's the woman who had essentially been like a second mother from El Salvador. She came and made pupusas for this big birthday party for me in, in the county. And all my little friends came and nobody would even try the pupusas because they hadn't seen them or heard of them and they didn't know what they were. Where do I belong? Like, it doesn't seem like here. It seemed like I've belonged more in the city when I was with people who were so much more diverse, speaking different languages. And so it hugely shaped who I am today. First of all, just speaking Spanish as your first language as a kid is huge for your developmental process of, I learned more before the first grade than I did as an adult. Just being comfortable, that is just the potential for chosen family versus a scary thing or I'm not sure what to do here. It always felt very natural for me. come to the come to mind when you say that and I think about what are the most important for me and for me as an individual as like a human being and also as a business leader and somebody who does this work professionally I am just on a quest to remind people of the truth and to be a vessel of love and light and possibility in people recognizing that being themselves is actually the greatest superpower that they have and recognizing that the more that they invest in shedding what was never them but was programmed into them because of how they receive love particularly growing up right as young kids or how they received approval or what they deemed as successful by other people's views of helping people to realize that there's a process of learning and there's a process of unlearning and how critical it is for us to ultimately be able to have more freedom, more well-being, more love, more abundance, more wealth right in the process of shedding who you're not so you can really take ownership of who you are and fully step into that and it sounds like sometimes it's all up here like real airy fairy kind of feeling but it's actually very tangible 
process that I, it's, it's really beautiful to do that through the power of values. And that is the big flag that I wave all the time is, hey, let's harness our values as a way to understand who we really are and to understand who we aren't, but we thought we were supposed to be and to learn how to get in alignment with those values through behaviors, actions, choices, and then see all of the incredible abundance that comes in a result of making those choices. One of the things that my grandfather used to always say to me, which was very progressive for somebody in, of his generation, was that you have no true wealth unless you have traveled and unless you have experienced other ways of living. And I always thought that was so interesting, but I didn't fully get it until I was older and I started to do it from a place of my own processing and filtering and understanding like, wow, it is such a easy thing to live inside your own world, right? To just be, insulated in what it's very easy to do that and that's something that i think more people do than they realize even because they're just so in their routine right like you go to even just like the way you drive to the store or the way you do your regular tasks throughout the day and even considering maybe if i took a different route i would learn something new or i would come across a different person or if i tried a different place i could learn another culture or have a different experience and so i was fortunate as i said earlier to be exposed to the joy of diversity and the gifts of diversity very early on and today it's such a huge part of my work so before i started my business which is called spark vision before i started doing this work which is almost about eight years ago I worked for a nonprofit organization where I ran young professional programming. And there was this moment where the CEO had pulled me aside one day and he said, Mary Beth, I don't know how you do it. It is like the United Nations at every event that you put on. And my first response was actually offended. I was actually offended by what he said because I was like, what? are you talking about? <laughs> yes, there's more diversity here than in other events that this organization puts on that I've seen visually, right? There's lots of types of diversity, some you don't see with your eyes, but it certainly was no United Nations as far as the opportunity of how far we had to go. And I just found it to be so weird, but yet affirming in what I was doing that I hadn't given myself credit for, which was making sure that people of color and minorities were at the table, right? On the board, making the decisions and not in a, let's check a box and make sure we have one of each type. That's so gross. And it's such a big, that was a energy I was getting from the CEO, right? Like he was so excited about that side of it versus the depth and the power and the extreme connection that was created because we were different, because we had these other perspectives. And so I wound up having a bigger conversation with him about what that brought up for me and what the opportunity is here and how perhaps it would be meaningful for him to talk to the members of the board to ask what did it take for them to want to get involved? What was it that made them feel welcome? And what I've heard 
over the years is really just not being treated differently, right? Not, oh, I have to act like a different way because I don't really know how I should act around this kind of person, fill in the blank. I'm just going to be me and I'm going to invite you to be a part of it as you and let's see what we can do here together. And it's a really beautiful experience because that is the last time that I was leading a community. It was 5,000 members in the community and it was really big. And I was personally responsible for 60 leaders between 10 and 20 were board members. So I knew them really well, like really in depth. And one of the things that I know was key to the strength and power of that community was that everybody was celebrated for the perspective they brought versus saying, oh no, we've tried that before and that's not just, that's just not going to work, right? So we haven't tried it with that person leading it. So why not give it a go? Why not honor that vision that they have and the values they want to express in the process of doing that? And so I've taken that experience and really used it as a huge fueling for the work that I do now. And I very specifically give out, very intentionally have scholarships for minorities who are interested in going through programming that I have because it is something that I just believe in a big way that the quality of the experience immediately heightens when people are not the same in the community. And so it is a reciprocal experience when I'm able to do that. I believe some of the greatest diversity comes when we bring together people through shared values, but a different lens and how those values were shaped, a different life experience in how they show up in the world or even how they define that value. And then being able to come together and find out what are the com commonalities between us and then what are the unique things that we can use stand next to each other right and can become even stronger as a result of honoring those parts of ourselves i wrote a book called permission to be human the conscious leader's guide to creating a values-driven culture and my biggest vision of possibility for the work that I'm talking about so far and also this bigger picture of this idea of giving ourselves permission to be human is that people truly would recognize that being a human means there's gonna be mistakes. It means it's not gonna happen immediately. It means that we can give ourselves compassion, right? We can suspend judgment. We can honor what makes us perfectly imperfect. And we can set boundaries to protect our energy. And all of these processes that are such a gift when we say, yes, I have permission to be human. Because when we first give ourselves permission to be human, that's when we can authentically give it to others. So I'm sure you've had this experience before. I certainly have where it's like we're so generous with other people, but not so much with ourselves. We can be so giving, so loving, so compassionate to our loved ones, to our team members, to our community members, right? But then the, you could be going through the exact same experience and say, but I'm not going to give that to myself. I'm not going to give that to myself. And so... It's the kind of thing that when we can authentically give it to ourselves first, 
then we that's when we really can unconditionally give it to others. That's when the sink and the shift happens. And I just, in, in the line of work that I'm in with the culture and helping people with well-being and being in alignment with their values, it's an experience where there's typically not a lot of permission to be human, right? Especially at work. You're expected to be a superstar 100% of the time, and when you're not, you failed. And you're going to be considered differently. You're going to be looked at differently. You're going to be put in a box of who you are or who you aren't. And it's just not realistic for our human experience. And so it's a very exciting time with AI right now, the rise of artificial intelligence and how that's going to be changing the landscape of work rapidly, like extremely rapidly. It's it's like exciting slash scary slash let's just lean on exciting. <laughs> let's just go with exciting because otherwise it can be too much to process. But my belief, my big vision for this is that AI is going to take all the things that us humans don't need to be doing with our time and energy, and it's going to give us this opportunity to step more into our own humanity, something that the robots won't be able to take over, and to have the space to understand, well, then what does it mean to really be a great human, right, for myself, for my family, for my community, for the world? And I'm excited because I believe we are in this tipping point of more people waking up and recognizing that we need to take care of ourselves better. We have gotten off track. We have accelerated our own robotic way of being. And now we need to really start hitting the brakes and to wake up to what happens and how much healthier we can be in mind, body, spirit, wealth, right, in all of the different areas when we truly and authentically give ourselves permission to be human. So that's what I want to see. I want to see a world where we live a healthier, more connected life by giving ourselves and others permission to be human. A lot of people, when they hear about values work or this idea of giving themselves permission to be human, they want to know where do I start, right? What, how do I actually do this in my own life? What's the process for doing this in my own life? And so I'd love to provide an invitation for folks of what is step one, right? If, you're, if you want to go on a journey to alignment, if you want to give yourself more permission to be human, and you want to do that by understanding your values. And so one of the things that we typically don't take into account on a day-to-day -day basis, which you can now that you've heard this, is noticing where in your day your energy is feeling filled and where in your day your energy is being drained. The way that I look at that is that in the times when you're feeling filled up, it's because your values are being honored, they're being activated, they're present in that moment. And in the times where you're feeling drained or even sucked dry, it's because your values are either not present or at worst they're being violated. So anytime that you're like, oh my gosh, that sucked, that was awful. Then ask yourself the next question, why? 
what was it that made it awful? Was it the people? Was it the type of conversation? Was it the environment that you were in? Was it how you were just feeling energetically? Maybe you had an upset stomach, right? Just getting really clear on why did it feel so filling or why did it feel so draining? And at that point, you can start to get more information about yourself to understand oh my gosh, it was so filling because I was with people that I love. Okay, so that gives you some more information. So perhaps that means one of your core values is connection. Or perhaps one of your core values is authenticity because you felt like you'd be yourself around that those people. So it's a really powerful thing, whether you do it in a day or a week over a week's course of just noticing what fills you up and what drains you. I, I do this exercise called drain and fill, which is so powerful. You could do it right now probably, just get out a blank sheet of paper and write everything on one side that's draining you and everything that's filling you on the other side. You can take into account just your work or you could look at your relationships, you could look at your environment, There's you could look at all aspects of life. It's your choice on what filter you'd wanna take. But then you can start to say, oh, I'm noticing that there's a pattern here on the things that are filling me up. And I'm also knowing there's a pattern here on the things that are draining me. So now what can I do to intentionally be more filled and either stop doing the things that drain me, delegate them, ask somebody else to step in, or see what I can do to help myself out in those experiences where I feel like I don't have a choice in it at this moment, right? What are the choices that I can make to support myself through them so that it's not just a constant state of suffering? take your values work to the next level you can go to our free values profile so you can get your core values profile for free you fill out a quiz takes between five and ten minutes and you get your profile emailed to you right away so you can see what are your core values your aspirational values ones that don't resonate and some that are just your values and it's really powerful tool it's corevaluesquiz.com so you can go to corevaluesquiz.com and if you're interested in doing more values work at work you can check out my book, which is Permission to be Human, and that's a really great way to do a deeper dive into values at work and how to create a culture that's in alignment with those values. Cheyenne and I are on a quest to open a retreat center together where we bring together my facilitation skills of the values work and permission to be human and also her gifts of being a cattle woman and understanding the connection between nature and animals and our food and our energy and how that creates this whole community and experience. And I, this was my retirement plan and then the pandemic hit and now it is, we are 20 plus years ahead of our retirement plan, my husband and I bought a tiny home so we officially are dual residents now we have our own spot out in idaho on our ranch and are really going through a major pivot in our lives to make that a reality sooner than later so uh, my quest to become a cowgirl is really happening now and cheyenne says you don't have to call it a quest anymore you already are a cowgirl <laughs> thank you mary beth i know our audience will be eager to get their hands on your book 
to take the values assessment that you mentioned and to follow your work. If they're very lucky, they will also get to hear you speak. I'm inspired by her message and her work with organizations and the way that her book has affected me as a human. I also love her cowboy boots and her story of transformation from a woman who has always been driven to work hard and make the world a better place, but how she's also learning that sometimes it's important to step back and think about who do you really want to be in this world. And sometimes that can be about disconnecting from technology to become a cowgirl like Mary Beth Highland. I hope you'll follow Mary Beth's work. I also hope you'll follow my work that's all about celebrating, supporting, and cultivating changemakers just like you and just like Mary Beth so that we can together change the world on our own terms and in our own very human way. Next week, you'll hear from another inspiring changemaker on her own terms and learn about her homegrown solutions for a patchwork world. In the meantime, may you be grounded in your beingness, guided in your doingness, generous in your connectedness, and inspired in your reflectiveness so you can change the world on your own terms. I'm Patty Talbot. I'm always learning, and I know you are too. Thank you.